0: So, uh, for those of you who are new, uh, this is a call and radio show format. I'm a clinical psychologist and psychiatry professor uh, by training, and I have a specialty in essentially mind body health and especially masculine health. So, I work with uh, top CEOs and VCs, uh, most of whom are men, uh, in terms of uh, optimizing their health and well being. So, if you have any questions related to optimizing your mindset, your physical body, fitness, nutrition, sleep, Uh, testosterone happy to answer any and all questions so we usually kick off the show um, with uh what our uh, what we call our weekly unpopular opinion Uh, i like to share lots of unpopular opinions on twitter um and this week's unpopular opinion um has to do with uh the emergence of health trackers so there's a million health trackers sleep trackers that are out there some of whom are gaining a lot of popularity and um, while i'm obviously a huge health tech enthusiast being a ceo of a health tech company um, i'm actually uh, relatively skeptical of a lot of the wearables and trackers that are out there for non-clinical purposes and what i mean by that is i think a lot of these um, they're essentially diagnostics that are designed for the consumer are actually very helpful if you have a clinical condition. So let's talk about some examples of that. If you have diabetes, uh, I think the use of a continuous glucose monitor is actually pretty helpful because essentially your blood sugar is out of control and you get a pretty useful real-time feedback in terms of what foods spike your blood sugar levels. Now, if you're perfectly normally healthy, maybe even pre-diabetic, I sort of question the utility of it because first of all, uh, you're not gonna get sort of abnormal blood spikes uh, from from eating you know normal things you can essentially without the device essentially predict what's going to give you a glucose spike from just looking at the glycemic index of that thing so for instance pretty much universally if you are eating uh, meat or any sort of animal-based food that is high in protein and fat and does not have carbohydrates you will by definition not have any glucose spike at all That's essentially why it's sort of the the foundation of any uh, sort of universal human diet. So you don't need some crazy CGM to tell you that donuts spike your blood sugar when you should just be eating stuff that doesn't spike it in the first place and we know doesn't spike it in the first place. Now, from maybe a fine-tuning perspective, you want to know exactly how much apple that you eat spikes your blood sugar. Sure, go nuts. But I, I don't really think it's a necessary and useful thing for Uh, most people however if you're obviously a diabetic especially type 1 diabetic and having too much or too little uh, carbohydrate or insulin is going to mean having a uh, going hyperglycemic in terms of excessive blood sugar or going hypoglycemic uh, because you didn't have enough insulin um, then uh, yeah it's kind of a useful technology how about some other examples the the most common usage of meditation apps like Calm and Headspace is actually not to learn medica- uh, meditation. As I argue, it's actually for people who have mild insomnia and they, they, they want to go to sleep. That's why Calm has sort of like pushed sleep stories and Headspace has kind of followed suit. So if you're having trouble falling asleep, then yes, it can be quite useful to listen to something soothing that prevents you from ruminating too much uh, and helps you improve your sleep latency. Um, otherwise it doesn't make a huge difference questionable benefits i do think there are some particular benefits to a regular mindfulness sort of practice um if you're doing it sort of consistently uh there's some research to support that uh but it's not an absolute sort of necessity same thing for sleep tracking i would say if you don't have any sleep problems uh the utility of sleep tracking is i would actually argue sort of questionable like do you really need to know the difference between your light and deep and rem sleep in that nuance of a perspective not really, what you really should be tracking is just how early are you going to bed and how much are you sleeping? Which you can do with a you know pencil and paper or, or just basically you're paying attention to what time you're falling asleep and waking up. You don't need a complex sleep tracker to do that. Um, so that's just kind of my opinion. People ask me all the time about what are the right wearables, tracking technology, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, my philosophy as a behavioral psychologist is you track only in so far as you're making an active intervention to change that thing, right? Passive sort of data collection, uh, especially that's like overly detailed and nuanced, really doesn't help people for the most part. But if you're if you're doing something very concrete, so let's say you actually are excessively using social media uh, and you're wasting an incredible amount of time, um, then it can be actually quite useful for you to look at your screen time on and your Apple iPhone actually has that as a feature now if you go into the settings. And you look at the screen time, it'll tell you not only how many hours and minutes a day you're using your phone, it'll tell you how many times you picked it up, which apps are particularly problematic that you tend to be overusing. And then you can use that and say, look, I'd like a 50% reduction in my social media use. I'm going to implement dopamine fasting, for instance. I'm not going to just use it whenever I feel like it. I'm only going to do it at regularly scheduled times and try to take one to four hours off at the end of every day where I'm not touching my phone. I'm putting it away. And let's see if that 50% goes down. In that case, it would be very useful to track. But the thing is, you want to be doing that while you're making that active intervention. You're trying to get down to 50%. Let's say you cut it in half. You've been good for a long while. Let's say you've been doing it for weeks. Do you need to track after that? Not really. If you're sort of in maintenance phase, you're stable. You're not having a lot of relapses. You don't need to track on an ongoing basis. So my philosophy is track only insofar as you're making active weekly iterations to changing that behavior. Once that behavior is stable and in place, then you don't necessarily need to track uh, all the time. Um, It can be helpful, I would say, with certain things that are relatively passive to sort of track, uh, you know, if it doesn't take a lot of effort on your part. So an example of this is stepping on a scale every day. I actually think most people should step on a scale every day. Um, And the reason for that is, you know, once you've sort of lost weight or you're at your goal weight, it'll obviously tell you if you're creeping back up in weight. Uh, And you need to, you know, uh, regulate and tighten your diet a little bit. So there is good research that shows that daily weighing not only helps people lose weight, but it helps them keep it off. Um, And obviously, uh, unfortunately, adults in America put on about, uh, you know, one to two pounds uh, or about 1% of their body weight per year as an adult. Doesn't seem like a lot, but obviously, if you do the math over 10 to 20 years, you've now put on an extra 10 to 20 pounds, maybe even 20 to 40 pounds if you're on the upper end of that range. And and obviously you've become overweight or or obese. The thing is you don't notice that because one to two pounds over a year is not even visually distinguishable, but it compounds that interest over time. And obviously a weight scale can tell you, oh, you know, I weigh four more pounds than I did two years ago. Uh, Maybe I want to stay around sort of my goal weight. So anyway, that's my point of view about sort of health tracking and technology. It's very useful to tell if an intervention is working, but if you're not actively intervening, changing, working on it, working with a therapist, working with a coach, working with a squad like you are in in Maximus where we're daily to weekly checking in, making tweaks, then I wouldn't say say don't go nuts with sort of the health tracking. So uh, use it when it's useful, but you don't need to go crazy. And and I don't think everyone needs to track everything at all times. Uh, I think... The problem is there's too much information for for us to process. It creates cognitive overload. And I also think there's too much of an emphasis on diagnostics. All of these are just diagnostics. And the one thing I tell everyone is data does not change behavior. Uh, Most people don't need a CGM to tell them that a a donut spikes your blood sugar and is bad for you. Most people know a donut's bad for you. And you don't need some magical data point to tell you that. So... um, uh, so I, I don't think unfortunately change behavior the most the reason people eat donuts is because it's pleasurable and it numbs negative feelings and there's no amount of data or there's no graph that's going to change uh, The deeper psychological emotional reason that people engage in problematic behavior. It's almost like a very naive technologist point of view that if you just explain to people why it's harmful to them, they'll correct their behavior. And any psychologist who's worked with any patient knows that it's not about sort of the conscious knowledge. There's a lot more that's happening on a subconscious and unconscious and emotional level that drives behavior. Uh, and it's it's not so simple as just, you know, telling people to stop it. So,
1: Hey, Dr. Cam, I have a question.
0: Yes, sir. How's it going, Jared? Uh
1: Good. Listen, um, I was wondering, do you have any actionable advice for finding or creating your purpose in life uh, and would a program like Jordan Peterson's Future Authoring be helpful?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of Jordan's work um, and I I haven't like gone through the Future Authoring program myself or looked at the materials, um, but I I know that's sort of one of the purposes or intentions of that program is to obviously kind of, you know, think about who, who you want to be. Um, and I, I think that's actually uh, the way that I sort of describe it is um, a lot of young people feel very lost because it's a very onerous question of like, what do I want to do with my life? Right. And that's very contextual in the, in the sense of, well, it depends on what duties and obligations do you have? Like, for instance, do you have a ton of student debt that's going to limit, uh, quite frankly, what you can do with your life, at least in the immediate future in terms of paying off your debt? Um, Do you have obligations to your family? Are you able to move? Are you not able to move? Um, You know, what's your risk tolerance? All of these things are gonna determine what you do, especially I would say in the short term. Um, I think a more useful question um, is, I always encourage people to think about who do you want to be? Um, And that is less contextual. That's really a little bit more about your values or what's really important to you in life. And so that's kind of my orientation. Um, I use and teach type of psychotherapy called ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. It's a values-based therapy. And one of the, the things, uh, one of the six processes that are um, encompassed in ACT is uh, values clarification. And so one of the things that I encourage you to do actually is just to sit down, um, whether you can do it with a, in a future authoring program or you can just do it with a pencil and paper and th- and write down What are the values that are important to you? And values are very distinct from goals. The difference between a goal, a goal might be like, I want to make X amount of money. I want to get married. I want to buy a house. I want to get a degree. These are concrete achievable things. You can look at them on your to-do list and say, I did it or I didn't do it. The problem is they're also very long, uh, temporally long away, right? It may take you years to achieve some of those goals doesn't mean that it's not worth pursuing, but it can be very frustrating if you feel like, oh, I'm like a decade away from finding my dream house or my dream partner, my dream job, all of these things. What do I do in the here and now? The nice thing about values is that they're by definition inachievable, right? So as opposed to finding a wife, the value might be, I want to be a loving person. I want to be a loving partner. And so you can do that uh, en route to finding that partner, right? Like you could create a dating app profile that expresses the fact that you're looking for a meaningful relationship right and you can, and that is an, an act of being loving right or even going on a first date you can be kind and empathic to that person even though they're not your wife but you're evaluating them as being wife material and so you're still pursuing that value and even if you decide to get into a relationship and let's say you get your girlfriend flowers on valentine's day you're not like oh i'm done with the loving uh, it's <laughs> i've checked it off my list No more is necessary. It's a continual thing. You're literally never done loving or being a loving partner. And that's why values are, by definition, inachievable. The nice thing about being inachievable is that that means you can do it in any given moment. Literally right now as you're uh, listening to the show, you could be expressing that value of um, being loving. Now, so that's the first thing I would do is I would write down maybe five to ten values that are important to you. Now, I would say common value domains that are almost universal to everyone, usually someone has a value around their health, some expression of what that is. There's usually some value around your career or your profession. There's usually some value around family and or potentially parenting, depending on what phase of life uh, that you're in um there's uh, sometimes a value around community if that's important to you there may be a value around spirituality or religion if that's important to you that may or may not apply Um, and uh, there may be some value around um fun artistic appreciation creativity as well i would say those are almost like the most common value domains. so what i would encourage you for each of those domains is rank and prioritize them right so literally from one to five one to ten which of those domains are most important to you so for instance you might decide okay health is number one because it's the foundation to all the other things number two is family number three is career etc and then what i want you to do is to actually write a personal and vivid statement of what that value is to you. And that's going to be individualistic to you, right? So while I would say most people obviously want to, you know, be healthy, you might want to write a very specific value that uh, expresses your own philosophy or view on it. So for instance, like one of my professional values when it comes to career is, you know, the reason I hope I became a psychologist is I, I really have a value around alleviating human suffering and enabling people to be the best they can be, right? So that that's sort of my value. And I everything that I do, because I literally have three jobs, right? I have a private practice where I coach CEOs. I enable them to be the best that they can be. Uh, I am a clinical professor and I train psychiatrists. I enable them to be the best doctors that they can be. Uh, and then through Maximus, and obviously through this radio show and all the patients that we serve through our telemedicine pr- uh, platform, hopefully we can help millions of people uh, be the best that they can be. But it's all oriented around that one value. Right. And whether or not I did it in, you know, a a teaching context, a private practice context, a corporate context, I can express that value in multiple different ways. And that's the beautiful thing about values is that they're flexible. Right. And even if one of those jobs came to an end, two of those jobs, even three of those jobs, I could always find a way to help alleviate suffering and help people. Maybe it's just volunteering as a big brother. I'm expressing that value. And so that's the nice thing is you don't have to, you know, get the dream house, dream girl, dream job, et cetera, to feel like you're fulfilled in life. The question is when you get up every single day, are you making progress towards or away your, uh, from your values? And so you literally, you can, in after 12 hours, 16 hours, you went through this Thursday, you can look back upon it and say, did I make some effort? Did I make at least one small step? Did I make a little bit of incremental progress towards those values? And if I did, I should feel proud of myself because I'm doing the things that I said are important to me in life, right? And you may want to evaluate too. Um, uh, Sorry, the mic is off on Twitter. Thank you for letting me know that. Um, You may want to also evaluate if the prioritization that you're saying is reflective of how you're living your daily life. So for instance, if I said, you know, health and family are number one and number two, but career is number three but i'm spending all of my time working i'm not sleeping i'm not taking care of my health i did not call my mom and dad even for 5 15 minutes today then there's something incongruent between what i'm saying and what i'm doing right and that sort of disconnect causes dissonance and so you can reevaluate and be like okay i'm not quite prioritizing the way that i want what do i want to do differently tomorrow right and so that's where you're taking it from this theoretical Uh, you know what are my values to how am I actually living those values on a day-to-day basis so that's kind of the framework that we use in ACT is is I think it's very important to explore your values understand your values clarify them have literally a statement that reflects every single one of your values know how they're prioritized and when you do this exercise by the way you can kind of tell whether whether a value is sort of genuine is when it when it elicits something genuine in you like you feel an emotional response like when i talk about alleviating human suffering and enabling people to be the best that they can be it gets me jazzed up right because i think about the first company that i started we helped five hundred thousand people lose five million pounds and i know how life transformative that is for someone to avoid diabetes and heart disease because i've worked with people who've literally had an amputation, had their leg chopped off and how terrible it is in terms of their quality of life to do that. And if I can spare someone of that pain, I feel like I have purpose, right? There's meaning in my life. So when I talk about it, and hopefully you can, that's conveyed when you hear it too, is that that's a deep sort of purpose. And it gives me the motivation to go through my own pain and suffering in terms of what you have to do that. Because obviously the amount of education or the amount of effort that you have to put into doing this work, Is quite tremendous but to me it's all worthwhile because it serves that underlying value or purpose so when you're writing your values you should feel a little bit of an emotional resonance too, where you feel a connection to that value it resonates it's you know like a fire in your belly that's the way that I would put it that's what it should sort of elicit and you want to check in on on like I said you want to reflect on those values every once in a while and be like yeah this is my uh, compass. This is sort of my north star. This is where I'm heading. This is where I'm heading in terms of who I want to be. And when you know who you want to be, it'll help determine what you want to do, right? Because if I know like my value, for instance, is to alleviate human suffering and enable people to be the best that they can be, then the next question is, okay, what are the things that I can do that I can express that on a daily basis? What's the best way of living that out given the limited circumstances that I have at the time? And that may evolve over time, right? Like when I was just starting out, the, you know, I was like maybe working with patients one-on-one, that's the only way I can do that, and maybe volunteering. Now that I have financial resources, uh, economic, uh, you know, uh, uh, human resources at my disposal, I can start companies, I can hire people, I can get a lot of people to help do that. But that came with a decade of, of time, right? And so that's the thing too, is your your goals come out of your values, and the more that you sort of work towards them on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year basis, the uh, the expression of those values will become more and more complex as your goals become essentially more and more ambitious, and you'll have more and more resources in order to uh, achieve them. So is that a helpful sort of framework, uh, Jared, in terms of thinking about, um, you know, finding sort of your purpose in life?
1: Yeah, um, that's what I was hoping to get to, because I remember you mentioning uh, about your outlook on values versus goals. So thanks for elaborating on that.
0: Yeah, by the way, um, I'm just kind of curious, just to give me a little bit of context, like why is this coming up for you in your, in your life right now? Is there something that's sort of prompting this search?
1: Um, well, the goal that I did have and was working a couple years to try and achieve has not worked out. So I guess I'm trying to reevaluate where I'm going.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, when you have sort of a blockage and something's gotten in the way of uh, where you were heading, it, it makes sense to like, pause take a look around and reevaluate um, are you are you willing to talk a l- little bit about what happened uh, there
1: yeah yeah um, I was trying to become a police officer in Ontario mm-hmm. and you know working through getting physically in shape and becoming a good candidate for the police services and then they essentially Change the way their vision standards work mm-hmm. and how they do their vision testing. Yeah, and I immediately just was disqualified uh, oh. from the entire process. So my eyes are not capable of laser surgery or any kind of uh,
0: improvement. They're just too too bad, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I, I feel your pain. In fact, the first job that I got, I was um I was doing biomedical research, and ironically, my boss uh, really wanted to be a, a Navy fighter pilot. And had a very similar experience to you where that was his dream. Like he was an ROTC. He was like prepared his whole life for this goal of, of being a Navy fighter pilot. And they had, they, 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 they gave him a medical disqualification, um, due to, due to vision. Um, and he couldn't do it. And he obviously took a, a pivot and took a, a whole different, um, you know, pursuit in his life. Uh, he ended up becoming a researcher and then he actually went back to school, became, a, a, a surgical PA. And now he actually, um, Helps assist people with surgeries, and I think he sort of found his new sort of purpose in life. Um, so I, you, obviously, you had a blockage in terms of your goals, right? Like you, you, you were you're obviously, unfortunately, uh, not able to become a police officer, and I'm I'm deeply sorry that that it's a, you know, sort of an unfortunate circumstance that blocked you from doing it. But let me ask you a question. So that's that's the goal. What was the value behind that goal? Like why why was it important for you to become a police officer out of all the other jobs in the world that you could have pursued?
1: I thought of this when you were talking, um, I really liked the idea of being able to stop people from doing bad things to other people, Mm -hmm. I suppose, um, and stop evil people from committing evil acts. Yeah. That was what really fired me up when, uh, when you said that it got inside to make me remember why I wanted to do it.
0: Yep, that makes sense. And so let's let's dig a little deeper there. So you know you know want to stop bad people from doing bad things makes a lot of sense. Uh, What's the value behind that? Like, why is that important to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know.
0: Is is there an underlying something that's important to you around? um, I don't know justice, uh, fairness. Would you say?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that bringing people to justice or bringing evil people to justice. Um, Yeah, I guess making sure they get up their comeuppance, even though that sounds (laughs) eventual, but.
0: Yeah, I I was going to say there's a little bit of like negative, um, not negativity, but one thing that's useful to clarify is, um, uh, values can't be negative uh, in terms of the absence of something, right? So for instance, if someone, uh, not, not related to what you're saying, but let's say hypothetically, someone was like, I, I don't want to feel anxious. I would say that's not a value. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we joke is a dead man value. A dead man's not anxious. And so it's better than you at achieving that. So, so that's not really a value. Um, the question is, well, if you weren't anxious, then what would that enable you to do? Right. So I guess I'm going to kind of use that analogy for your question, which is like, let's suppose, you know, there were less bad people in the world or they were they were uh, more encumbered from doing bad things. What would that enable? What what positive benefits would that give to people or society?
1: Well, it would hopefully stop people from getting hurt, Mm-hmm. you know,
0: and that would provide what safety, security, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Protection, peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you see what I'm doing? I'm sort of like being like, okay, well, let's forget the absence of something or the lack of something, which is evil and bad and bad behavior. But what is that? What's the converse of that? Right? Like mm-hmm. if you thought about your ideal world, like what would the, what would be the adjectives that you'd use to describe it? Right. In Ontario, like what, what would you want your community to be if it was almost like a utopia?
1: God, <laughs> I don't know is that even possible um, I just this is a
0: hypothetical thought exercise so let 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 your uh, realisticness uh, aside be a, be aside for a second
1: yeah I don't know it's kind of hard for me not to focus on the, the negative aspects and just getting rid of all the problems you know mm-hmm. I like naturally being a problem solver I would try and solve the homeless problem the drug problem. mm-hmm Epidemic of depression and mental illness.
0: Okay. Um, And that would enable what?
1: I guess people would be generally happy.
0: Yeah. I guess, you know, helping people be better, thrive, et cetera. So I think you are tapping into, you're starting to get in transition. I would say from goals to values, right? So like the goal is like, I wanted to be a police officer. Unfortunately, I'm blocked from being a police officer. Now, where do I go? Right? Makes total sense. And and by the way, this is a perfect illustration of the dangers of living a goal oriented life. I know it sounds crazy because everyone's like, oh, it's great to be goal oriented. I make the complete contrarian opposite point of view. I actually think you should not be goal oriented in life, not as your primary orientation, right? Because you're going to run into the same exact problem that you so unfortunately and beautifully illustrate, which is if, if that's your North Star is one goal. Uh, that And for some random unfortunate reason that it gets blocked, then where do you find yourself, right? You found yourself exactly where you are, which is like lost, essentially. Um, and so rather than that, uh, what may be useful is to be very, very clear. And I would ex- encourage you actually to do this as a, as a writing exercise, right? Is to think about, you know, what are the values that are lying. in kind of our preliminary exploration? I would do obviously a lot more explore, uh, exploration if I was working with you as a client. But I think this is a useful illustrative example. Um, It sounds like you really do have some values around justice and fairness, right? Because those to me are like the emblematic values uh, of, you know, like being a police officer, safety officer, right? So you, you, you can think about like, okay, if those are your values, like I want a more just society. There are many ways you can express that whether personally or professionally, right? So, like, a lot of people obviously just volunteer. Uh, there's, like, Neighborhood Watch, for instance. Maybe you're not a police officer, but you can do Neighborhood Watch and you could protect your community, actually, right? So, you can still find a way to live that value and bring personal satisfaction to yourself, even if it's not your primary profession, right? So, that's an example of that. Second parts of it were you, you sounded like there was a little bit even more than just, like, justice, temp- temperance, and fairness, You know you specifically mentioned the homelessness problem the drug problem the mental health problem so it sounds like there's a little bit around just kind of like what i was saying too that that you do have a value around suffering right like obviously not all homeless people or or mentally ill people are all bad people right so it's it's not the only thing you don't it sounds like you care about is not just like evildoers right but there's people who are genuinely suffering and obviously police don't just encounter criminals They are kind of community stewards, right? Unfortunately, they do interact with a lot of folks who are mentally ill and on the street and try to help them, provide them with resources, et cetera, make sure they're safe, getting their needs attended to, getting them into homeless shelters, et cetera. And so um, if that's a value, which is around sort of alleviating you know, suffering or helping, let's say, the unfortunate uh, or the marginalized people of society, there's lots of ways you can do that, right? You can obviously go into... The whole mental health field. You can go into nonprofit work. Uh, you can, you know, work for the government in uh, the Department of Health, uh, Health and Human Services. You can do social work. Um, uh, there's, there's lots, lots, lots of things uh, that that you can do that that would be an outgrowth or a pursuit of that value, right? Um, and similarly, you can also just volunteer. Like you can go to homeless shelter once a week, feed the homeless, and that can also be very satisfying. So. That's the beauty, I think, in creativity of values is, you know, if you know what your values are, there's there's a million different ways of expressing that. And that can be personally, it can be professionally, it can be full-time, it can be volunteer. Um, and then you just have to make a determination of how important that value is in relation to your other values, right? So let's say, um, you know, your values may be like my health and my family. In order for, my, for me to provide for my family as a male, I have to have a high a decent paying job given the city that I live in. I don't know how expensive Ontario is, but LA is very expensive. Um, and so you're like, okay, maybe nonprofit work is not the best thing. Uh, it, it, it serves that value in terms of helping people and alleviating suffering, uh, but it doesn't allow me to like feed a family and buy a house in LA. So given that, how do I make sure that I have a profession that provides for me and my family first and foremost before I go help the community, right? Or is there a higher paying way of serving it, right? So I may become a psychiatrist, for instance, you can make a quarter million a year uh, even doing community work as a community psychiatrist, because there's such a high demand for them uh, where you're helping people still getting paid a decent amount, providing for your family. And so you're balancing that. And so that's that's the these are the practical kind of balancing concerns that you come from prioritizing your values is, you know, I don't believe in being like super lofty and idealistic. Yeah. You got to be very practical about your concerns. You got to make money. You got to provide for yourself and your family. But when you know what your values are, the goals and how you sort of balance them become a lot clearer.
1: I don't want to take up too much of everyone else's time, but how do I make sure that I'm getting the correct values? Because essentially you just turned it around and uh, we got, we we explored the value that I said, Mm -hmm. and it was a little more negative and then you kind of went deeper. So how do I make sure I'm doing that?
0: Well, first of all, I would say that there's no like right or wrong values. They're, they're idiosyncratic to you. Obviously, if, if uh, as long as they're not like harming anyone else uh, and they're genuine and authentic to you, they're going to be your values. Like your values are going to be different from my values and probably every other person that's listening, right? There may be some similarities, but they're idiosyncratic to you. But I would just say, um, yeah, as long as they follow the rules of thumbs of what a value are, then you know it's right. So one of them I already talked about, right? It should be inachievable right? Um, so it can't be something that you can accomplish or don't accomplish. Then you need to frame it as something inachievable, right? Like being a loving partner versus celebrating an anniversary or, or having a partner, right? So make sure it's that. Make sure it's something that is, um, uh, uh, you can you can essentially practice at any given time, right? On almost like an everyday basis, you can live that value. Even if it's in a very subtle way, that's how you know it's a value. Third, it should be intrinsic so here's a useful um heuristic is if nobody else could see you doing that value would you still do it right obviously if, if it is then you know it's intrinsic like it comes from deep within you it's not because of extrinsic reinforcement or reward or you know pride or you know uh other people like seeing you as a great police officer you would do it even if no one was looking right so um, and then f- uh, fourth, as I said, it shouldn't be a dead man value. It can't be like, I'm, I'm doing something in order to eliminate, or it's because of the absence of something. It's if you flip flop that and be like, okay, what would that achieve? Right. Peace, prosperity, wellness, um, security, safety, etc. Uh, then I think it's positively framed. And then fifth, uh, like I said, it should evoke an emotional re- response, right? It should get you fired up. Uh, you should it, you sh- it it should give you uh, uh, a little bit of sense of motivation, right? Um, and I, I in act we talk about how the motivation that comes from values is literally the fuel to the fire that makes you willing to step in the face of pain and suffering. Because I, I I you know I think act is very aligned with Buddhist philosophy in the sense that like life is suffering, right? Like if you, even if you had decided to pursue being a police officer. You would have encountered a ton of suffering you got to go through all this training uh you, you're taking off on obviously risk if you have a family they have to they have to suffer too knowing that you could be hurt in the line of duty uh you may see colleagues or friends hurt uh and, and suffer in terms of their loss and then obviously you're going to see a ton of the people that you work with in the community who are literally suffering from being homeless mentally ill drug addicted uh, going to jail and so all your entire profession is around suffering both personally vicariously and all the loved ones around you so what makes all what makes it worthwhile to literally do that it has to be a deeply motivating value that makes the encountering of that the approach of that worthwhile and so that's why i do think there, the the sort of emotional resonance is really important because that's literally what gets you up and get you gets you out of bed every single morning and so it's useful to, to every once in a while remember that, right? Like I wrote my values when I was 22. I talked about this in a previous podcast. Um, they're not that different than you know uh, 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 many many years later. They're still on my bedroom wall in my my parents' home in San Diego. I go back and look at them, and I'm like, you know, that's still what I want my life to be about. Now the vision has changed a little bit. The goals have changed in terms of how I express that. I never never thought I'd be running a company when I was 22. Um, but the company to me is not important. The company to me is just an outgrowth. It's the expression of that value. And even if VC funding dried up and Silicon Valley disappeared, I'd find another way of expressing that. Um, so, so that's why it's, it's, it's a very flexible way of living. And to me, I talk about this all the time. The clients or patients that I work with, I'm not worried if they're depressed. I'm not worried if they're anxious. That, that is part of the suffering of life. What I'm worried about is people who are overly rigid. It's psychological inflexibility that leads to real suffering, right? And you're like, if you said, I my only purpose in life, my only goal in life is to be a police officer. And now that I can't be a police officer, my life is worthless and meaningless. And I can't imagine doing anything else. Life is ruined. Then yes, of course, you're going to suffer. But that suffering is coming from your own interpretation of this rigid rule. That's quite frankly made up. And, but because you believe it, right? Because you buy into it, because you're fused with it then you're creating instead of the just the clean pain of rejection of being a police officer now you have all the suffering and saying my life is worthless and meaningless because you've determined it to be so right and so that's an example of psychological inflexibility rigidity what we're trying to do with sort of act philosophy and what i'm trying to obviously do in in the work that we do at maximus is encouraging psychological flexibility and and when you use values instead of goals as your orientation in life it's inherently flexible because there's a million ways, like I said, in any given moment, in, in a multitude of different ways, you can live out that, that value um, and you can find a way. And so your life will always have purpose. Your life will always have meaning literally on a today. Today, you don't need to find your new profession even. If you know what your values are, um, so like even like in the example that I said is like, you know, I want to provide you know, safety and security, and I want to promote people's well-being. Like, if that's your value, you can do that in a little way every day. When I was a Boy Scout, we'd, like, help people cross the street. You could hold a door open for someone. And so, you know, the way that we do that, was we had a little coin, and you had to do a good deed every day, right? And so you literally put the coin in your left pocket, and by the end of the day, you had to do a good deed, transfer it to your right pocket. And it became this little behavioral trick, Right. And, and, and I and just I'd find the littlest thing, like I said, holding a door open, um, you know, uh, saying a nice thing to the grocer, uh, whatever it is, paying someone a compliment is an expression of kindness, is an expression of service, is an expression of gratitude, etc. Uh, and so it could be a small thing, it could be a big thing. We obviously did bigger projects where we clean trails and clean up the beaches and do all kinds of community work. But it could be a small thing and you can literally do it and start today. And so by the time you go to sleep tonight, you can be like, hey, I made a little dent in the universe. I I made some progress towards living that value. Um, And then I'll go on to do, you know, grander and bigger expressions of that. But you don't need to wait to feel like you have purpose in your life. Uh, You can literally start today. And so that's my message. And I hope you take it to heart.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And feel free to check in in the future if you want to continue to um, obviously ex- refine your values and give us an update in terms of how you are living them. Uh, you know, I, I always love getting updates from people.
2: Uh, hi, Dr. Cam. Hey there. Hello. Um, so I kind of wanted to continue um, just a question that I had from last week. Yes, about, sir. Um, about, uh, Oxytocin. Uh-huh. I, I know I have like kind of a like a like just a laser like focus on this. <laughs> Does Maximus Tribe currently have like anything in uh, in, in development uh, in in terms of like a troche? And if so, are there any uh, positions open where one might be able to uh, contribute to the the development of such a or or might be able to um, contribute to to more effectively developing such a product?
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I won't talk about it too much, but we, we have some pretty exciting research and development in the works that's along those lines. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, and, uh, so yes, I, I, you know, obviously it's something that I'm interested in and I don't sort of promote anything that, that doesn't have a lot of research behind it. Um, and I think there's some very exciting research on the, on the benefits of, um, uh, a lot, a lot of different hormones and oxytocin being sort of one right. of them. Um so yes yeah so we are that's that's in development um we're doing some internal testing getting some pretty pretty good results i would say um so yes uh in in the works to, to be to be did, uh, uh revealed and discussed at a later time um uh, but yeah i mean uh, in terms of helping us out um yeah we are hiring um if you go on our angelist uh website we have uh, a bunch of open jobs the, the most uh, pertinent of which are we're hiring a senior software engineer We're hiring a product manager. Um, uh, Let's see what else we have. We're hiring a kind of a customer uh, success representative that directly uh, interfaces with our our patients. So actually, speaking of service, if you want to work closely with with patients in terms of enhancing their well-being, we are hiring for that position. Um, And then we kind of have two background positions we're not actively hiring for in terms of operations and marketing, but if we find the right person, um, we may be open to that uh and then last we're, we're kind of uh potentially hiring a social media intern to to help us make a meme account uh but that's kind of a fun so, so, uh, special project i would say what's what's your background and interest
2: um i actually do have a, a degree in uh, biomedical engineering so i was thinking um just maybe of using that background to like maybe try, trying to maybe like sort through uh, medical literature or maybe talk to a patient who's, who's receiving a certain form of treatment and kind of like maybe compile something that could be of use to um, either whatever scientists are developing it or to whoever might want to um, might want to take the product onto themselves and see how it works for them.
0: Um, I know we do, we do work with like some MDs and PhDs and people who have science degrees to do scientific writing. Um, so I
2: I don't, I, I don't have a, I don't have an MD, uh,
0: yeah, I'm just saying like as, as illustratively, some of the, some of the writers that we work with don't, are not MDs or PhDs, but they have at least like a bachelor's or master's in some scientific, uh, field, Mm uh, you know, obviously if you can just write a scientific research paper, that's probably, uh, you know, enough. I mean, that, so that's, that's the most pertinent thing that comes to mind. If if you ever interested in like, for instance, if you wanted to write an article, uh, on, the latest scientific research on oxytocin and the potential benefits of it uh, like that's something I could definitely like work with you on. Uh, I'd be interested in actually doing that. Um, so th- then that's something that can be do- done part-time remote on a contract basis. Uh, obviously as we grow we'll, we'll sort of we work with a couple writers right now um, that are doing stuff like that. Um, so, so that's that's the like the most immediate thing that comes to mind. If you have anything more specific, you can just email me. Um, or just DM me on uh, Discord and, and we can talk.
2: Jonathan said, yeah, I was actually struggling with this for years. I, it finally, I finally took the time to find my passion and align it with my values. I'm 42, so having a career change at this point was a little intimidating.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, um, Jonathan. You know, I, I used to work um, at like three VA hospitals, as I've said, and mostly with um, guys who are over the age of 65. Right, so these are retired, oftentimes like Vietnam era veterans, and I always say you can you can you can definitely teach an old dog new tricks. It just takes a little bit more time, so it's it's never it's never too late uh, in terms of living your values. Now, by the way, that that point though is very valid, right? If you, in terms of making a career change, it can be intimidating, and it and it may actually be difficult, if not uh, you know, it may not be worth the ROI. Like I would say, like for instance, someone. Um, it depends on your family situation, like someone going back in their forties or fifties and going through med school residency in order to become a, a doctor for most people, I would argue, it's not really worth it because there's an incredible amount of sacrifice that, uh, is required. Um, and it's easier to do when you're single, quite frankly, right. When you're doing it when you're twenties and you're here, you know, yeah, most of the folks, at least when they start out are not married and don't have kids, um, it's easier to worry. do. It, not, that, not to say that it, it's uh, not doable. There's lots of people, obviously, either towards the end of the training or there are people who come back and do that later in life. Uh, but there is a lot of sacrifice that's um, involved in doing that. That's an example of a goal, right? Like going back and changing your career, switching a career, maybe a goal that may be impractical, right? Maybe you got a mortgage to pay. Maybe your family won't let you move uh, in order to do your training, et cetera. So that's, that's okay. Uh, but you can still find a different way of living out that value. Um, but i'm glad in your particular case you were able to sort of uh you know do that and I, i wish you the best in pursuing that and if you want to talk about it sometime feel free to call in um speaking of hormones uh we got a question from carlos on instagram he says hi sir follower from colombia just about to take six milligrams melatonin just finished med school my circadian rhythm is wasted so melatonin to reschedule them opinions on melatonin um, okay, so uh, I, I kind of gleaned the the point of this question. Uh, this guy just finished med school. He's probably really sleep deprived his sleep schedules out of whack, dysregulated circadian rhythm. So he's trying to take melatonin to fix it. Okay, so first of all, I'm not gonna provide medical advice. But here's what I would say that you should do in consultation with your own physician. Um, I don't know what the medical status of melatonin is in um, Colombia. In the U.S., it's an over-the-counter supplement, but in certain parts of the world, it's not. In Germany, I believe it's actually a prescription drug. So, first of all, I'd like you know figure out what the regulatory status is. It sounds like you have access to it um, from what you're talking about. But I, I've talked about this on a previous show. Um, melatonin, I don't recommend on a regular basis as a sleep aid. I don't think people should be taking it. It is a hormone, um, and so you should be taking it very carefully or purposefully. Um, and there's it's sort of unclear if um, it's very safe. You can't really overdose too much on it, unless you're taking ridiculous doses. At least in terms of normal dosages. Um, but if you're taking very high doses of it, there's a speculation or a hypothesis that it may uh, downregulate your endogenous production, meaning that your your body's own production of it may, um, you know, decrease. Six milligrams of melatonin that you're talking about is far too much. Uh, uh, that I would say. So if you look at the research literature, first of all, your body only produces 300 micrograms or 0.3 milligrams, right? You're taking literally 20 times the dose that your body makes. That's overkill. Um, So generally what I recommend to people is if they're trying to shift their sleep schedule back, whether because of jet lag or because they've been staying up too late studying for med school exams and now you want to go to sleep earlier, um, in consultation with your PCP, you can discuss taking... Um, I believe life extension has uh, 300 uh, micrograms or 0.3 milligrams extended release. So it releases over the course of six hours, just like your body does. The problem is if you take an immediate release form of melatonin, it's immediately absorbed. It only lasts in the blood for, I believe, like 30 to 60 minutes ballpark. Um, And so it'll kind of induce sort of uh, uh, or promote or encourage sleep, but it doesn't last and you may wake up. That's why I like the extended release version more. There's some additional research to say that doses up to about one milligram may be optimal. So if you're really struggling, I would say between 0.3 and one milligram is probably the sweet spot. Um, uh, unfortunately, most melatonin on the market comes in like three milligram dosages, sometimes up to six milligrams. Like you're saying, um, it's overkill, and I I would I always believe in taking the minimal effective dose, the MED. You always take you want to take the least amount of any medication, particularly sleep medication. Uh, that works because otherwise, you know, you're going to run into greater and greater side effects. Or, like I said, you may be down regulating your endogenous production, uh, or you may develop a tolerance, right? I, I'm guessing with a six milligram, maybe you were starting out to taking three, you didn't find it was effective, and now you're doubling the dose in order to make it work. You obviously don't want to continue doing that, right? Because uh, once you start taking higher and higher dosages, like I said, higher and higher risk of side effects. So, I would encourage you in consultation with your PCP. Uh, If you can find an extended release form, it's going to work better because it'll kind of uh, be in your bloodstream all throughout the night. Uh, I recommend 0.3 milligrams to one milligram. That seems to be the most effective dose in studies. You want to do that as long as you're shifting, you're working on shifting your sleep schedule back to a normal time. Once you've got it back, so let's say you've been going to bed at 1 every night because of med school, you're trying to get it back to 10. Uh, First of all, that I would say don't shift it back more than 15 to 30 minutes at a time. So meaning if you were going to start tonight, go to bed at 1245, then 1230, then 1215, then 12. And so you're going to wean it back little by little over the course of, uh, that would be, you know, um, four times three, 12 days, right? To go from 1 a.m. to 10 p.m. You can use the melatonin in consultation with your PCP as an adjunctive aid to help you go to sleep earlier. Um, and then uh, once you're there and you're stably going to bed at 10 o'clock what happens is the body's conditioning takes over and if you have a bedtime routine you start getting ready for bed at 9:45. you go to bed at 10 every night it only takes you 15 minutes to fall asleep you don't really need melatonin anymore and i would encourage you obviously in con- consultation with your prescribing provider to wean off of it so that you're not dependent on it there are some medications that's totally fine and supplements that you should take every single day The sleep stuff in particular, though, I'm just a little bit more conservative about in that I don't think it's a great idea to be dependent on anything for sleep uh, because it's just very sensitive, I would say. And even if you're using stuff that helps, the problem is like, what if you're traveling, you forget to bring it with you, and now you can't sleep because you've become dependent on that thing. Not, Not sort of a great situation. So sleep, I would just say, is a little bit careful about, especially when it comes to the prescription stuff. Most of the prescription medications for sleep, especially in the U.S., they even tell you on the bottle, like you're not supposed to take this for more than two weeks because it's habit forming uh, and it causes problems, and and maybe it's even potentially carcinogenic. If you're talking about sort of the Z hypnotics like Zaleplan, Zolpidem, or the brand names are more commonly known as Ambien. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I would just say I'm I'm a, I'm personally a little bit more conservative when it comes to sleep medications and supplements. Um, so anyway, consult with your your provider, figure that out. But remember, melatonin is a hormone, whether it's over the counter or not, and just be be conservative about and careful about it and use the minimal effective dose whenever you're uh, using stuff like that. Thank you everyone who joined us on Twitter Spaces today. Uh, It's nice to see a greater and greater crowd and that platform sort of taking off. In addition to Clubhouse, thanks everyone for joining us on uh, Discord Um, and uh, YouTube Live and Twitch and Instagram. So we will be here Uh, every Thursday at six o'clock. You can submit your questions uh, ahead of time. You can DM DM us on all all our social channels or on Discord or or just call in and, and ask your questions. Always happy to help and be of service. Thank you.